I built a seven-figure cleaning business. And by the time I was 38, I had a um, quarter million dollar income and I had a seven-figure net worth. You are listening to The Millionaire Talk Show with Charles Oglesby. We are going to be millionaires. And we're interviewing proven millionaires who've built their wealth in real estate, sales, marketing, branding, and other areas by betting on themselves. And now, here's your host, Charles Oglesby. Oglesby. This is the Millionaire Talk Show, formerly known as the Oglesby and Scott Show, and before that, known as the Thai Capital Millionaire Podcast, which we might have to bring back that name because that's a classic name. People still remember it to this day. Um, It's so cool meeting people in person, and they're like, man, I've been listening to your podcast since you had the old name. And so it's just cool that you guys are rocking with us. I definitely appreciate the support and I do not take it for granted. We appreciate it um, 100%. But as always, thank you for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American investors and business owners so that people can hear the stories of successful examples because they do exist. We want people to learn that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. With us today, we have DJ The Money Coach, really cool guy. I got a chance to meet him in Atlanta at a speaking tour with Erica Classy Climbshot to Erica. And I was inspired by all the cool things that he has going. Um, I mean, his speech was impactful. He had a ton of energy. He was he was firing up the crowd, but he's done so many cool things in terms of real estate, business. And so I know you guys are going to get a ton of value from this conversation and just happy to have him on. So welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure and a privilege to uh, get a chance to hang out again. I mean, I think we like kindred spirits uh, back in the day, to be honest with you. So yeah, thanks for having me on the show. And uh, hey, let's jump in and I'm ready to talk and chop it up and give some free information that's tremendously valuable that I didn't know when I was coming up. And I wish I could have done it all over again, had somebody tell me some of this stuff. So if you had to give people an overview of who you are, if I walk up to you and I say, hey, what do you do? Can you tell us uh, who you are and where you're from? Oh, absolutely. So my story is just like everybody else's story. You know, go to school, get a college degree, get a job. Long story short, uh, Charles, I grew up new at age 10, man, that I wanted to own my own deal because I used to play Monopoly all the time, brother. I mean, I just love playing Monopoly. So long story short, I went to school to become a CPA, did not uh, get my CPA. I actually minor, ended up getting a minor in uh, accounting. But uh, I looked up, man, and about uh, 26, 27 years of age, I had a professional job, uh, was working in corporate America, worked in the car business, uh, worked in the uh, software business. And I went to go buy my first house and I was making, I don't know, this is mid nineties. I was probably making 75, 80 grand a year, doing better than most of my peers and walked into my bank and filled out the application and they declined me. And I was like, man, wow, you declined me. And I had money in the bank, had been banking with this bank for at least 10 years, man. And I had at least 40, 50 grand in the bank savings account in addition to some other stuff. So I was I was disappointed and I just looked back. I said, okay, I'm gonna go back to grind, kept working. And then I got into start my first business, went back to the same bank. It probably was like 24 months later and they turned me down, bro. At that point, you thought since I had a degree in under, you know, minor in accounting, I would have known the business of personal finance, but I actually didn't. I know general ledgers. I knew how to do the books, income statements, balance statements, all of that stuff for corporations. But I didn't know about my personal finance. So I didn't ask when they turned me down to first time, why they turned me down, I just got pissed and walked out. This time when they turned me down for my business, I thought it was, you know, it was it was a black thing. I'm just going to be be real, be real with your audience. I'm like, 
this don't make no sense. I got money, I'm established, and I'm golden. So I said, what's the deal? So the guy just said, hey, man, do you know you got a 525 credit score? He said, do you know that you got $60,000 in consumable debt? And I honestly did not know. And that may sound stupid, but I honestly did not know. And when I looked up and found out that I was signing every credit card I could get going through college just to make ends meet. And when the guy told me that, I said, okay, I could go the victim route or I could become victorious. And I said, you know what? My mom was able to take two children, put them through private schools, get them in great colleges and never complain that I'm going to take the victorious route. So I actually read a book called The Road to Wealth by Susie Orman. And if people don't like Susie Orman, that's their problem. I just read the chapter on personal credit. And within 12 months of applying what was in that chapter, my credit score went to 720. Now, people probably say, man, that ain't that ain't nothing significant. But I'm talking about in the 90s when there was no access to the internet like you have right now, where you can just pull up and get this information readily available. You still had to go to the, the library, to the encyclopedia, stuff like that. So I got that 12 months, got to 720. 36 months later, I paid off all that debt. I did not take the easy road out and file bankruptcy, which most people at that time were doing. And then within 24 months, I was at 800. So I realized, wow, this is a game out here. They'll give you consumer debt, but they won't give you business credit. So I created that, went to my church, took a program called Focus on the Family that taught eight weeks of financial literacy. And about 70% of my church did not make it through the course because it was just too long and they were just too busy. So I said, what if I can condense that? And from what I learned, I got a securities license. And then I started teaching financial education with my own personal story. And my mother at the time, she had become a victim of identity theft in the early 90s. And then my mother in the late 90s was a victim of predatory lending all in the same time. So we would get hit from all sides. So when I overcame all of that, Charles, I just said, you know what? I'm going to teach our people in a fun, compact third grade level how to get out of debt, create a Roth IRA, supply themselves with credit lines, and then go forth and attack this world. So that's really how I got where I was. And then people start hearing about it. And I start teaching faith, family, and love of money scripturally throughout churches, throughout Chicagoland. And then when I looked up, man, I was teaching at the YMCA, State of Illinois Attorney General's Office for Young Attorneys. And then also the state of uh, Michigan for predatory lending. And next thing I know, man, I'm traveling across the country with George Frazier and I'm teaching a course called Three Steps to Success. So that's really my story. And in that process, I built a seven figure cleaning business. And by the time I was 38, I had a um, quarter million dollar income and I had a seven figure net worth. So to kind of take it a step back, we, we, we heard what happened when you were going from college forward until now. What was life like growing up for you? Man, you know what? Life growing up for me was actually pretty enjoyable. Um, come from a, a mom who grew up in the projects, Cabrini Green Projects in Chicago, Illinois. And my mother actually was a young a mother. Uh, she had my sister at age 16, had me at age 18 and a half. And my mother never, never complained. She uh, put herself through nursery school and my father uh, passed away in Vietnam, so never met my father. So my name that I have is actually named after my sister's father because they were mm. they were they were best they were best friends. They both went off to Vietnam. Long story short, and I've never told anybody this on a, any public platform. I don't even know why I'm sharing with this with you right now, to be honest with you. But it's just coming out of me right now, so I'm just gonna flow with it. So when that happened, I had a duality life. So I had a name that didn't belong to me, but I didn't know until I was like 10 years of age that my sister's father wasn't my real blood father. 
Okay. But my father, who was a Vietnam uh, hero who actually died trying to uh, save an image, uh, in, uh, infantry, he died actually trying to save his, his platoon and he got blown, blown up. So long story short, my father's mother took it on his responsibility with my mom to help raise me. So put us in private school, went to Catholic school, went to private uh, high school, went to the best schools, had every everything was anything that I wanted that I worked for. My mother and my grandmother provided for me as long as I got straight A's. I took care of the business and they told me never be a second class citizen to anybody. I played uh, three sports in high school. I was a um, uh, pretty much uh, all state shortstop second baseman uh, in, in high school, uh, played at a top tier uh, college uh, for baseball and actually uh, had a bowl scholarship as well, qualified as a PBA uh, bowler, didn't bowl on the tour because didn't have the money. And uh, basically, man, I just had a great childhood, man. Any and everything I could do, I was very uh, energetic, uh, very uh, gifted with numbers and spoke a couple of languages. I went to a language academy uh, where I took seven years of Latin, seven years of French and went off to my first college. And you'll, you'll probably appreciate this. Went off to my first college and I was told that if you just pass the class exams, you don't have to go to class. So I went to my first school and the classes that I had were kind of behind the school I came from. Unbeknownst to me, I said, well, you know, I'm just going to go up to the school and just take the exams. So I aced pretty much all exams. And then my school gave me first time in my life, I got what's called an FA, failure to attendance. So I got three failure to attendance and classes that I breezed through in high school. And at that point, that's when reality stepped in. So my mom at that time, she said, look, I'm not going to be paying for anything else for you. And I was 19. And my mother said, you got three months. I got kicked out of my first college because I was partying and, and you know, not showing up to class. You know, that, that sound familiar? So <laughs> in three months, came back home from my first college and had to get a job. Went and got a job at a place called Sears Technology uh, Services. And it was a technology firm for Sears. And they worked with IBM. So I got a job in the mailroom. And this was when DOS was out. So I'm dating myself. This is when DOS and uh, Windows 95 came out. So I learned how to do DOS and Windows and actually took the whole um, computer supply room and put it in automation. And I was able to do my job that was eight hours a day in three hours. And I start rising up the, uh, the the ladder. And then it came to a point where I wanted to get a computer science degree. And they told me they had me doing the work and they had me training some white people. And this is real, real talk. And me training some white people. One of the girls was the daughter of the vice president of our division. And she had a college degree, but she didn't even know how to do the technology. So they had me training her. And then they passed me over for a job at the time was like $45,000 a year. I was making like 25. And at that point, I said, you know what? I'm not going to sit up here and allow you to use me and train your daughter that can't do it. And she's making 45 and I'm making 25. So I quit that job right like that. And then I immediately went and worked in a warehouse went back to school at Columbia, uh, finished out my degree three and a half years later and really never, never, never looked back. But yeah, man, that, that's that's my 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 quick back backstory. Nice. Nice. So you mentioned that you had some issues with personal finance. You got the education and then you started teaching it on your own. But I know you also said that you were a financial advisor at one point in time. Were these things working together at the same time or was one before the other? What does that timeline look like? Yeah. So the financial advisor piece came afterwards and I became a financial advisor in 2001. So I got my license for a small um, financial planning uh, organization in Springfield, Illinois, which is the capital of Illinois. And they were doing um, 
what you would call middle class financial education. And they would use financial education as a doorway to get into people's, you know, investments, get into their savings and get them Roths and, and emergency funds and do mortgages for them as well. So as I came out and got introduced by my mentor at church named Gus Tucker, he said, hey, man, you got a great you know, grasp of money and how numbers work. I think you should get your securities license and I think you could actually blow this thing up. So I worked for this firm and this is what I did. I've Since that experience at Sears Technology Services, I created my own corporation simultaneously with the company that I got my license. So something told me in the back of my mind, Charles, that they were going to screw me when I blew out their sales records. <laughs> and I got them to sign me up as a contractor to my own company, Duransburg International. And I was the only one in the company that instead of doing a personal employee contract with, they did a business contract with me because my track record of selling prior to that, I had spent time in the car business just to give you the backdrop to the, the bridge between those two. So I spent five years in the car business and I went from being a regular salesman to working in the finance office. And I am just have an affinity of blowing records out sales and stuff. <laughs> so when I knew this was going to be an opportunity financial services in a rural area, I said, you know what? If they don't want me, I'll go find somebody else to sponsor me. So they signed me up and within 12 months, I shattered all their sales records in, in, in rural Springfield, Illinois. And I brought that model to Chicago and started selling the professional middle class. So once I did that, and then they reneged on an equity position in the company, which is, it was built like multi-level marketing. So mm-hmm. if you know, um, travels and ins- travelers insurance and stuff like that, it was built on that, that platform, but it was a real financial planning practice, but they just built it on that platform because that's where they came from. So you would start out and you would get what's called a regional vice president, a senior vice president based on the volume in the business you close. So I broke every record that they had. And then at the highest level would become an, a um, senior executive vice president, you supposed to get 5% equity in a business because it was a new startup, maybe about three, four years of age. When I blew them records out, they didn't like the fact that the way I was challenging everything that they said about how to go and do business in middle class professional, you know, especially urban. And I was right and they were wrong. Mm-hmm. So at that point, I just started learning everything that they were teaching. And I had an exit strategy to say, you know what, when they renege on this equity, I'm just going to take this to the next level. So that's how I got in the financial service business. And then from there, I built my own model, strictly looking at black professionals first. They had household incomes of 75,000 to 250,000. And then I would start working with white professionals and whomever would do business with me with that model. And at the time, a lot of people don't realize the Roth IRA came out in 1998. So I was really like three years right after the Roth IRA came available. And people were like, what's this Roth IRA thing? You ain't got the pay no taxes ever in your life. And they thought it was like a scam. But I was like, no, this is the law. And I said, do you know that the 401k was created in 1978? And a lot of people don't even know that. So I taught that. And that's how I got into the financial service business. And then I created my own practice and grew that to almost $50 million. So it's interesting because I'm hearing some similarities in your story where you were achieving, you were doing great things, but you weren't really getting the recognition in corporate America. What's going through your mind during this time? You know, I'll be honest with you. I had a lot of anger in my heart because every time someone would tell me, hey, here's the quota, hit the quota, you get this. And here's the other guys up there. Like, and again, I'm just going to keep it a buck. I probably was one, maybe two blacks in every corporate job I ever had. And that's probably still the same today for high performing black professionals. And typically 
you get a condescending uh, relationship with your superior. Your superior knows that you're better than these average cats, but they still give you all these fake loop uh, hoops and stuff you got to jump through. So during that time, having been an athlete and produced very well on the playing field, and it's a meritocracy, my thing is, hey man, if black and white, if you tell me sell a half a million dollars worth of whatever and I hit it, pay me what you told me you're going to pay me. And then when it comes to the salary part, when I found out that two or three people that were producing half of what I was producing was making more money than me salary wise because they had relationships, that was a total conflict where I knew, like I said, when I was 10, I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. But when I got into my mid twenties and that reality hit in that it ain't even about what I'm doing, it's about who I don't know and who I don't have favor with. And the only way to change that is to roll the dice hundred percent on myself. So I had a whole bunch of anger inside of me that I had to get out. And the only way to get that out was either hurt somebody or find, you know, God real talk, you know? So, so that's, that's where I was. And then that's what propelled me to say, you know what, let me go out here and sharpen my sword and polish some of the things. And there's a thing called Jahari's window and a thing also called self-actualization, which is Maslow's law, which a lot of people don't realize. So what that means for your audience is that you think you are a certain type of person, but people see you different. Mm. So in Jahari's window, there's four window panes. There's the window pane that I see myself. The second window pane is where Charles see me. The third window pane is where you and I both see me as who I am. But the fourth window pane is what I don't see about myself is really holding me back. It got nothing to do with my intellect, got nothing to do with my skills or my talent. It's my shortcomings personally and spiritually that I haven't been able to get beyond. And that like a dog can smell fear on a person. People who I come in contact with and spoke the King's English, knew everything about the technology, the numbers, something just told them, don't do business with this guy. Mm, That's crazy. Yeah, man. It's, It's interesting because I've experienced the same. And I think that was that was one of the kickers that made me quit my job is when I was working there. And we hired like uh, an intern, like a white dude. He was an intern. He didn't finish college. And he made a comment about how much money he was making. And I was like, that's crazy. I was like, you making almost as much money as I'm making. And you ain't even finished college yet. I've been that finished college. I've been through law school. I've done all this stuff. And you're just getting paid this much money. And my entire energy just shifted. Like I couldn't do it anymore. Not unless they increased my salary to the, where it needed to be. And I just I just had to walk away. So it's interesting that you had the same story. It's interesting that you've had the same experiences throughout. I'm curious because um, you have you did have success on your own, though. I mean, you're having success in corporate America as well. And I think that's another conflict is where not only are you doing well in corporate America, you as a person is probably so much further ahead than like the average person from where you came from. And so like, that's also a conflict where you're like, bro, like you don't see like how exceptional exceptional I am. To the point where like you're you're like treating me as if I'm average when I'm well above average. Anybody that knows me or has experienced anything with me knows like it's not a lot of people like DJ the money coach. There's not a lot of people like you, but they're treating you as if it's common. And I think that could be an issue as well. You know, it's funny you said that because I was two grades ahead. And if I could just jump back and I didn't realize I didn't have my video camera. I apologize. (laughs) But I was wondering why I was seeing you and wasn't seeing you weren't you I wasn't seeing you weren't seeing me. 
Uh, but it's funny you said it. So I think, um, well, I know this now, but back then it was, it was a thought process is that my strength is my weakness. So one of the things is I was a premature baby. Okay. So I came out in the world six months before my mom was expecting to have me had to have emergency, you know, uh, pregnancy delivery. And ever since that happened, I was a small guy and God made up for me being physically small. He gave me a big mathematical brain. And he also gave me intuition that I learned that my intuition was actually a gift that could become a major skill. So when I was in the fifth grade, my private school gave me an opportunity to make a double. So my sister's two years ahead of me. And my mom was like, no, we're not going to do that because I don't want you and your sister in the same grade. So generally what happened, Charles, I would be around the older kids all the time, because like you said, I was seeing stuff before they saw it. I was able to do stuff before they were able to do it. And that was like a story of my life. And I was like, wow, my mom wasn't trying to hurt me, but she was trying to protect my sister from a social construct. You know, here it is, your little brother in the same class as you are. And my sister was super smart, but I was just a little bit more advanced on the mathematical side than she was. And at the time, that was, you know, very well received. So I would constantly be involved with people two, three, four years older than me doing more than what they're able to do. And that did not sit well with a lot of people most of the time. And so now when I started achieving in corporate America, and then I started looking at the business construct, it's like, man, you should know this stuff. This is stuff commonplace. But that was that short sightedness for me that I needed to get more real rounded as a person and get an understanding. And once I got rid of the anger situation and I took a course on conflict and anger for youth, uh, it's called the the Gothard program, which it's it's a Christian-based program. And that showed me the headship from God, family, men, and children. And at that point, it told me about third generation of uh, sins that your father and your mother may not be sharing with you that's preventing you from having that blind, that's actually Mm -hmm. providing you that blind spot that you never know about. And I didn't get that, man, until I was 30 years of age. Yeah. So when, Eric, what were the things that you were doing to have some success in the financial services field and entrepreneurship on your own? Once you struck out one on your own. Yeah. One thing I did was I was a good planner. So I would look at the demographics of what wasn't being served. So in the middle class specifically, here's one thing I understood. You got a JD, you got an MBA, but if you don't have a half a million dollars liquid in the bank, you know, the big boys, Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, UBS, they're not coming to talk to Charles. However, Charles, you got so many degrees and you may got 100, 250 in the bank. You ain't going to, and this is no, 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 no disrespect to these, these organizations, but I'm just going to keep it booked. I'm not going to Edward Jones. I'm not going to Charles Schwab. I'm not going to the Walmart financial services because I'm a professional and I know more than most of these cats who come in after me and I should be working with UBS. I should be working with Goldman Sachs. So what I figured out was, you know what? I'm like them and I want to be serviced by UBS and Goldman Sachs, but I don't have a half a million dollars liquid and that ain't no money to them anyway. So I saw a gap right there, just like they caught in the blue ocean. So I started looking at, hey, what if I could provide somebody who's got a hundred thousand, got an MBA or a doctor, the same advice that they could get at UBS or Merrill Lynch or Goldman Sachs? Would that be a value add? And I looked across the landscape and nobody was doing it. And at that point, I knew I was onto something. And I just looked at the numbers, looked at the tax returns. And I said, here's the thing with this new Roth IRA, with these new uh, insurance plans. At that time, there was insurance policy called a return on premium that would give you all your money back in 20, 30 
years, you don't pay any, you don't get any interest from it, but you get all your principal back. And again, as a young professional, single, why do I need insurance? But I'm not projecting for, you know, DJ the money coach when he's 40, 50 years old with four children. I'm projecting, oh, 25, living the life out here balling. I ain't going to die anyway. So when I saw that and saw that was a gap and the caveat was, Oh, you can get all your money back. Oh, dude, give me a half a million dollar policy. I give you 50 bucks a month because if I'm going to be here at 35, you're going to give me a check for nine G's? Sign me up all day, twice on Sunday. So I saw those gaps and I just had faith that I would find enough people in the middle class, not look like me, but middle class demographically that would need the same things. And then I just did a radius. There was a book I read called The Roaring 2000s, The Roaring 2000s. And this book showed you the transformation of technology from the Great Depression to the brand new 20s. And it said within three mile radius, if you find the right demographic with the right gap of services that are not being fed, you can become a billionaire. And I took that to heart, brother. I took that heart. And in the book, he talks about S-curve economics. And S-curve economics is real simple. It says early adoption phase, like when you get the iPhone, most people who have money and privilege, they want to get the new stuff before it even works great because I got it. You can't afford it. That's early adoption. Or you're a tech head and you're just rabid about technology and you're going to get it and make it work. And so it goes from early adoption until what they call general acceptance. So in general acceptance from early adoption is zero to 10% of the market. And then from 10% to 70%, when you get massive explosive growth in 36 months, then it tears off. And if you can learn S-curve economics and put any product or service and system, you can become a billionaire by servicing 100,000 people. And I just focused on that, Charles. New people needed Roth IRAs. Knew they need emergency funds. New young professionals who were single needed return on premium insurance. And I just exploded, put my head down. And three years later, dude, I was making six figures in my own grip. Um, One of the things that I've struggled with is how do you get connected when you go independent? Like, what does the back end look like? Are you working still with the company, but they allow you to kind of market it as yourself? Because I know before if you get licensed, you got to go through a firm, you got to do all these different things. And even to get licensed is super expensive. How do you do it individually? That's a great question. Yo, it's the Options Trading Workshop presented by Tide Capital. Learn the fundamentals and advanced trading strategies that allow us the chance to earn $20,000 in side money in one year while working a job and running multiple businesses. That's right. Learn the what, the where, and the how of options trading in this exclusive webinar. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. So having gotten sponsored the original, like the original path where you're talking about with a regular firm, I started doing my research because I said, hey, you know what? This is the closest thing I'm going to be to being a whole entrepreneur, but I need to be able to do the compliance, the, the uh, you know, the, the legal stuff, but I don't want somebody owning me. So I started doing research about independent high network producers. And there was an organization called LPL. I don't know what it stands for, but they would do all your back office and they would do your back office for 15% of everything you brought in the door. And that sounds like a lot, but if you want to be solely independent, that 15% is worth his weight. And just like you were telling me about paying 25 an hour for a real VA versus six to eight for a virtual VAs. You know, you can't compare the two when it gives you complete freedom. So I found LPL, and then I was fortunate to find another organization called World Equity Group, not World Financial Group, which is a network marketing group. This is called World Equity Group, which was for high earning financial planners based in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And they had $5 billion under assets and they had the same model. They would take care 
care of all your marketing. They would do all your compliance. And every dollar you brought in the door, you paid them 15%. But what I did is, and here's the advantage from coming from nothing. I negotiated with, I said, guess what? I got a model that you ain't doing in the middle class. Cause again, you had to do high net worth for them too. But since I had a model and I was able to show them my receipts from what I did with the other company and it was a niche, they said, okay, cool. If you can hit a million dollars, the quota at the time with them was a million dollars. They said, if you can do a million dollars and bring in new business to us in 12 months, we'll let you run your own business and we'll do all your back office. And I said, we'll tell you what, you're going to take 15. When I hit that million, you're going to only charge me 5% on everything that I do on the back end. And I said, if I don't do it in 90 days on the pathway that I'm showing that I'm going to make $83,000 a month for you guys, you can terminate. And that's how I put the challenge in front of me. And that background of being an athlete enabled me to stay focused, to hit them numbers. And I hit them numbers. And when I hit them numbers, I started recruiting other people and bringing them onto my team. And I just started looking for other ways to get to the next level. Yeah. It's interesting because I believe that athletics definitely helps you in business. So it's cool to hear that because you said you have a strong athletic background. So 100% I agree with that. Um, you're really big on, to kind of shift a little bit, the seven spheres of money. Can you talk to us about what those seven spheres are and how they work? Oh, oh, absolutely. That's you know, that's a great question. So, and this all ties in, and this is an old DVD. This, this actually was out in 2010. <laughs> But the seven spheres of money is the things that you need. As a middle-class person, you need to have a proactive relationship with an account. You need to have a proactive relationship with an insurance agent. You need to have a proactive relationship with a banker. Not every time you go to buy a house or refinance a house shouldn't be the only time you talk to a banker. And you talk about working in private client banking services when you were in the industry, okay? Then you need to have a financial planner that brings that together for you. Then you need to have a real estate relationship with a real estate broker. Then you need as you grow, because here's what I found out. When you are five, seven years into your profession in the middle class, you're probably going to be worth half a million to $3 million if you're doing things right. So at that point, guess what you need? You need an estate planning relationship. And then the last one you need is a legal. So those are the seven spheres of money. And guess what? I learned this out by selfish needs. So when I went to get turned down from that house, I found out, okay, I ain't going to have that happen to me twice. So I got myself a relationship. Then I looked at the financial planning part. Before I got into the industry, my mentor at my church was my financial planner. And I said, you know what? I need these services and I'm going to start making money. And then I just looked pulled back and I said, wait a minute, the wealthy had these things called family offices. And this is what they do for the wealthy, the family office. I said, why don't I create this for professionals? And here's what I found out. Three of these professionals you need to be working with on all time base. If you make $75,000 an individual and you make the high end of a quarter million, you're going to have a relationship with your accountant, your financial planner, and a real estate person on a regular. And you should have a legal advisor, an attorney, and the offset to handle just acquisitions of property, divorce, estate planning, and stuff like that. And you should meet with them three times a year minimum. And that's how I created the seven spheres of money. And when I created this, Charles, people was like, thought I was crazy, man. They were like, man, one, I, I can't afford all of those people. I said, but guess what? Here's the beautiful thought process of it is we're projecting what your income is going to be. And again, remember when I talked about if UBS and Goldman Sachs ain't going to touch you, but when you make a million dollars a year and you got a million in the bank, they come knocking on your door. But I done already got you because I done already did my research and said, you know what? Charles has got an MBA and a JD. He may only be making 75 now. He's 26, 27. I bet you he's going to make a quarter million, a half a million dollars by the time he's 35. So why don't I get down here and give him this program for like $49, build a relationship, give him a lot of value to him where I'm not making anything. And then as he grows and start building his portfolio, he started saying, man, I remember you were with me when nobody wanted to be with me. And I knew I was a star. So now it's hard for you to leave me. And then most (laughs) importantly, 
just like how athletes and entertainers give, don't take this wrong, ladies and gentlemen, the Jewish guys, the Asian guys to market and rep them as their advisors. Now I got the internal lead on them guys because now they can say, guess what? DJ, the money coach was there for me when I had nothing. And you're showing up on the scene when I got a million dollars, but he was there when I only had a hundred. So unless you got something spectacular that he and his group can't do, I'm staying with DJ. Thus, the seven spheres of money was born in 2004. Nice, 2004. And I know that you go to a lot of sports events. Are you there for networking purposes to meet these athletes to try to build those relationships? What's the goal there? Well, that's kind of like uh, since I didn't play professional baseball, uh, I love sports. So I combined both of them. And a portion of my practice is that I would go out and meet uh, athletes. And then I would talk to them about what I did as an athlete, which is pale in comparison to them, but I can relate to them. And I could also show them the money side. So I have actually mm-hmm. done events. I've actually done um, the NBA All-Star 2000. 2006 blackout party with P. Diddy. And I'm not throwing names out here, but I just did. I, I sponsored the whole event in Houston, wow. Texas. And that was the first time I got into the sports entertainment world. I took a $60,000 investment of my own money and four of my other partners. And we turned that into almost a half a million dollars. One night. Got got, got got the receipts. Got the receipts, <laughs> brother. So, so then from there, that was in 2006. Got my taste of that. And I was like, man, this is awesome. Man, quick money. So then 2010, I became a sponsor of the MLS versus Manchester Chester United event at Reliant in Houston, 78,000 people. And I invested $5,000 in a suite. I was in a business that I created called uh, Easy Pay 24, was a bill pay business. And I had tracked on file. I had a $12 million contract with um, Love's Trucking. And I had a $6 million contract with HEB, which is the largest private grocer in the United States. And I was showcasing that in this event. So I'm the first person that I know of, no matter what their skin color is, to strike a deal that capacity with Love's Trucking. First one to get Manchester United, the Manchester United, to actually sponsor my event, raise $40,000 for the YMCA in 2010. And we end up making, you know, close to $1.2 million in like 60 days from that event. So from there, I just took my love of what I like to do that I would do for free. And I put them together because I'm naturally 100% myself in both of those environments. And I used to, in college, have my own sports show. So I didn't tell you about that. I got my full degree in broadcast journalism, television production with a minor in accounting. And I had a show called Sportscope from 89 to 92. And I I didn't get my degree until I was like 25 years of age. When did you get into real estate? Because I know we've talked about your real estate portfolio, which was extremely impressive. I don't think we've had anybody who has such an extensive portfolio that's actually in the same market that that, uh, me and my friends invest in. Can you talk to us about your real estate ventures? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so my my uh, my sister was uh, engaged to uh, my mentor. His name his name is Curtis. Can't give his last name. So when I was in high school, he went to the same high school I went to. He was he was uh, three years three or four years ahead of me. And coincidentally, he went to the same college. I went to the same college he went to. I didn't know him at the time, but then my sister met him when she was working in corporate America at Allstate. And so when met and found out what he was doing, he was in real estate. So I'm getting my degree, get my stuff back together. I'm riding around with him in Inglewood, Chicago. He's carrying a gun collecting rent. And here's the funny part. Show you how dumb I was. I'm sitting up like, ain't no way I'm going to be doing that with you, Curtis, because this is just dangerous. So at the time, he was like 31 years of age. He said, look, man, I'm going to be retired on my 35th birthday and I'm going to be worth at least five to seven million dollars. And I'm just like, dude, I didn't go to college to be going around the hood carrying a gun collecting rent. He said, well, look, guess what? You're going, but you ain't making no money because you're riding with me. (laughs) 
So I saw him, Charles, in three years do exactly what he told he was going to do. He went down in a, the end part of what's called um, Lakeview in Chicago on the on the on the border of Hyde Park, and he bought a lot of condemned brownstones that he was getting for like seven, eight thousand and putting like thirty, forty thousand. And by the time he turned thirty-four, he actually sold like ten of them and cashed out at like two million dollars and walked away from Northern Trust Bank as a vice president from a quarter million dollar job worth $10 million. And so seeing that, I reluctantly got into real estate and how I got into Detroit was real simple. My practice was booming. My little private practice called Duransburg International on 39th and Pershing. And my good friend named um, Clarence Archibald, he was a sales engineer for Hewlett Packard for the Ford company in Detroit. So he moved up there with his wife and he couldn't get out of his first home. So he had a bridge loan. So if anybody knows what a bridge loan is, like mezzanine financing. So you don't have to pay two payments at one time while you get in the new house built. So he did that and it fell apart and he got caught with two mortgages. So he ended up selling that house to his uh, wife's uh, hairstylist. And he was like, oh man, dude, we made a grip on this property. And you know what? I think I'm going to start doing this. So he started doing a couple of houses and then he ran into a wall charge where he couldn't find investors that had the capital, the credit score, and the understanding of how real estate investment works. And this was at 2003 to 2006. So in 2006, I called him up. I said, hey, check this out, Clarence. My practice is booming. I've got people that look like you, got money like you, and don't want to put their money in a mutual fund. I said, so won't we do this? Won't you come over to my office and let's do a presentation, raw, raggedy presentation, and we'll break down how this works. I said, first, let me buy a house from him. Bought a house from him. He got it on auction. We put up, at that time, you had to you know, do the construction loan. The houses were valued. The market was booming. If you can remember 2005 to 2007, yeah. everything was overinflated. So we bought a few houses, did a presentation. I brought 10 people to that presentation presentation, three of them. Hey man, I'm in. You've been managing my money for this long. Boom. Let's roll to the hole. So we took them. We bought a couple of houses for him. He rehabbed them. He managed it. We did like seven to 10 more houses and we're sitting in Southfield. So at that point, I'm thinking, hmm, we're giving away money because we're buying these houses from the REO, you know, the bank foreclosure guy. And I asked the guy, I said, hey man, we're buying these REOs from you. How about you send us some clients? Again, another white boy. It, I don't care. It just happened to be a white boy. So I get, can only tell it what it is. So he looked across the table just like you looking at me. And he just laughed. He said, we ain't giving you no clients. I looked at Clarence. I said, wait a minute. Did he just said, we're not going to give you any clients, but we done probably done like 10, 15 houses with this dude. And I'm thinking we have probably made him a half a million dollars. So I looked at Clarence. I said, Hey man, I'm out of here. And Clarence was like, what are you talking about? I said, dude, he will never get another dollar of mine ever in his life. And Clarence was like, what, where are we going to get our money from? I said, I'm going to finance you. I immediately got up from that table, Charles, and that competitor in me, and that, that anger in me was like, how the hell are you going to steal from me and don't appreciate and respect the money I bring you to take your community, but you're going to take out of mine? I yeah. went to my other partner. I talked to my guy, Curtis. Curtis came up, looked at the business. He said, guess what? If you and Clarence believe in this, put your own money in, then when it works, I'll back you as much as you need. At the time, Clarence didn't have the money and he really was kind of nervous about doing it. So I just off the grip, went and got myself a home equity line of credit. This is 2006. I got a home equity line of credit off my house, 50 G's, got another partner of mine. He gave me 50 G's and I went into the mortgage business. And from there, within 12 to 18 months, I financed 80 houses. I actually wow. became a mortgage banker. And here's how I became a mortgage banker. I, I hear what your audience is saying. That's not even possible legally. Everything's possible when you got money and you got a vision. So the young lady, her name is Kelly, that had a mortgage banker business. So I said, I'm going to give you my loans because we were doing the, the construction loans and the hard money because that's how you got your money at that time. And you were paying 12, 15%, but you're turning that over in 45 days. So I said, Kelly, I can't justify me giving 
you five, six loans a month without me getting paid. Not Clarence, but me getting paid. So she's like, legally, I can't do that unless you own some ownership in the business. I said, well, guess what? You need to sell me a percentage of your business. And she was like, oh, I'm not doing that. And I just sat down. I said, here's the amount of houses we did with these white boys over here. Turned out to be a couple million dollars in business. I said, we're going to double that. I said, so here's what I like to do. Give me 5%. If I don't do the numbers, then you don't owe me nothing. So I gave her some money. She gave me ownership based on me producing. And before you knew it, we were off to the races. So I started financing. I became an owner. And, the, and here's what I found out when your license don't impair you or prevent you from owning other businesses. And here's a problem with professionals. They're always telling you what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. Because even in a financial planning business, I can own a financial planning practice without a license as an owner. So I took ownership in her business at 5%. And now when we did the hard money loan on a $100,000 house, which was 30 grand, I was getting 7% on that on the hard money. Now follow me. Then we did the construction 201 or 203, whatever it's called, to do the rehab. I was getting 3% on that. Then after we put it all together in 45 days, you know how we got our money out? We refined. I was now getting 3% on that. So on a $100,000 loan, Charles, I was getting paid three times and I was getting paid anywhere from five to 20 Gs every wow. 45 days. And what ended up happening, it started causing some animus between my partners and I because they were like, hey man, you making money. Nope, you had the same risk I had, but I wouldn't put the home equity line of credit on my house. Mm. I took the risk and talked and put the package together and I had everything to lose. So that part of the real estate became a financial vehicle for me, not the real estate itself. The big money was on the back end, getting to the refi and pulling that money out and getting a passive income from them people paying me. That's how I got into the real estate business. And then what that matriculated to is that I took the seven spheres of money and I put it together like a mutual fund. So I started challenging professionals. I said, okay, you got $100,000 that you percentage coming out of your check, going to your company's 401k. You got individual mutual funds. I said, have you ever seen those companies? Have you ever vetted those companies? Did somebody just give you a perspective and you trusted it because you were indoctrinated? I said, exactly. I said, what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually have you come up to Detroit, look at the property, show you what it is. And if it goes default, you will have something that you can have leverage because you got equity. So when we were able to do that and show them the mutual fund model and it started growing, it just took off. And then I got one lady free. Her name is Angela, Angela Vanderbilt. She worked for AT&T. I got her free at 40 years of age. She walked away from a six-figure income being one of our first investors. And then my mentor at the time, George Frazier, found out about it. And he invited me to go across the country and teach what I created called Three Steps to Success. And that's a program where I taught professionals how to invest in business first. Second, take the top line revenue from the business and invest in real estate. Then take the passive income and put it in a proper tax legal structure passively where you will pay zero you know, taxes on distributions on $80,000 or less. And from 2007 to 2010, I probably came in touch with 10,000 people and we probably helped 100 become consumer debt free and about 20 of them become totally financially independent. And that's where DJ the Money Coach started to evolve. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's a lot in there. Uh, one of the principles that I know that you talk about is firing your boss. And you kind of mentioned that earlier when you're talking about the, the lady help get free. Can you talk to us about why firing your boss is important and also how to accomplish that? Yeah, man, that's a great question. Because here's the thing. God engineered you and me to be 100% you and me. And in no way you can ever be 100% yourself if you have to report to somebody. Mm -hmm. Just like a child. Just think about it. Because a child is constantly fighting you because they are tired of hearing no. And you got a young child. I've got a, I've got an eight-year-old. But your child doesn't know the concept of no. And so an adult hears that a million times. So it beats them down subconsciously and it robs them of their confidence and they become inferior. So now they're controlled. So you have to be the boss of your 
yourself. And the only way to be that is be financially independent and have nobody to report to. So where you get that way is number one, you get rid of all your consumable debt. And this is the biggest hindrance for anybody, white, black, Asian, Hispanic, whatever. If you have a college degree, most likely you've got debt from 20 to $200,000. And that debt allows your boss to tell you what to do on your days that you don't like your boss. What do I mean by that? You're making a quarter million dollars at your company, doctor, lawyer, salesperson, software engineer, whatever, right? But one day your boss says, hey, Charles, I want you to go to Alaska and get this account for me, but it's your son's birthday. And you've got consumer debt and you made the biggest mistake that we all have been indoctrinated. You buy more than what you can afford in the present, but you pay for it in the future. Now your audience may not get this. What do I mean by that? If I get out of school and I'm married, me and my wife together got a $100,000 income. Why are we not living in a $100,000 house? We're living in a $300,000 house. We both got two brand new whips in the driveway that are also worth $100,000. So you got $500,000 worth of debt and you got twenty dollars to $200,000 worth of college debt. And now your income, even though it's hundred grand, $8,333 a month, you actually are servicing twelve grand, and nobody knows but you. So when that boss tells you, take your butt to Alaska because he or she knows what your debt is, because the first thing they do when you have a little bit of success, hey, Charles, go get that bigger house, dog. You deserve it. Go get that Mercedes. You deserve it. You like a fool or naive because you don't know, you go get it. And now when they tell you to do something that you don't agree with, you can't because all your security is locked into that debt. And that's their leveraging point against you. And when I figured that out, I said, I'm going to cut back on everything and I'm going to get myself out of debt. I'm going to get my personal credit up. And then I'm going to start building passive income and match my reoccurring expenses. And when I did that for six months at 6,000, I started letting that reoccurring money pay for my expenses. And then in the 12th month, I knew I was free. And then I doubled it. Then I walked away and I was totally 100% me. So what I teach people how to do, Charles, I said, you can live like a millionaire if you're consumer debt free and an 800 credit score and make only $8,333 a month in passive income. And you can do it anywhere on the planet because at that point in time, I had already sat down with 10,000 families and I seen everyone you could see. I had sat down with millionaires and hundred dollar nares and one common denominator was no consumer debt, 8333. You could live in a 3,000 square foot house. You could take four vacations a year, fund everything you got and still have a thousand dollars left. And I put that challenge to people and that's why it's important to, even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, but you got to fire that consumer debt and flip the script and build those assets conservatively. And then you'll start thinking more because you have less stress and a lot of things that were blocked, like in that Jahari window now come open up to you because now you're ready to receive it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's fire. That's powerful. Todd Consultant presents the Vending Machine Business Webinar. You can only have one job, but you can have as many vending machines as you want. This is your chance to see how we do business and how you can start your very own vending machine business. Avoid the mistakes we made and start winning. You'll be shown how we find, negotiate, buy, and manage our vending machine business, generating thousands per month, and how it has unlimited scale. To find out more details, hit us up on the link in the bio, on Instagram at Partner with Millie, or on Instagram at Todd.Capital, or just head over to gumroad.com forward slash Todd Capital. Um, speaking of the consumer debt thing, I'm, I'm sure you're not referring to the home because 
consumer debt is credit cards, the car you're driving. Am I right or am I wrong? Yeah, I'm first talking about what you're talking about. Consumer debt in terms of credit card, the car. But long term, I'm talking about paying off that house, too. Right. So so you had a plan to pay it off in seven to 10 years. Yes, sir. So in my program, Family Finance 101, once I sat down with 5,000 people, I started looking at the principles of success that actually leverage people. And once you got a hold of that and understood it and got free like the millionaire next door, you really got your whole life back because even on a mortgage, your average person doesn't realize that when you pay interest, even if you're paying 2% like right now, you're still going to give back 3X, 2X, 1.5X because 94% or 95% of the first 50% of your loan is all front interest. Bars. I'm going to say that again. When you get a brand new mortgage, typically people get 30-year mortgages. Now, because interest rates are at 2% for highly you know, qualified people, they get a 15-year mortgage. Mm-hmm. But even on a 15-year mortgage at the 50% platform, up to the five and a half year, 94% of that payment, if you're paying $1,000, $940 is pure interest. And that loan has been bought and sold two to three times. So if you can pay it down, you can pay it off in seven years. So if you can do that and you do the math, guess what? Why not pay it off all and have total freedom? But the first freedom comes knocking out the consumer debt, pay off the car, control the you know hidden foxes of little you know knickknacks going to Starbucks and stuff like that. And I know this ain't sexy, but guess what? You know what is sexy? Being free. And I've met people that I've helped get free that only made $2,500 a month. Because here's where the game cash flow just illuminated me. Is that when I first played that game and they had the different category cards, janitor, doctor, lawyer, the doctor and the lawyer card, 20, 30,000 expenses, the janitor no college degree. Oh, 1500. And if he got control of his debt and got him a little reasonably priced house, he was freer than they would ever be. Mm-hmm. And a lot of your listeners, they get that on the way home. You, you see what I'm saying? So now I've got more freedom and now opportunities come because here, and, and you can attest to this. How many times you came across a deal where cats had a lot of assets, but didn't have cash accessibility. They were illiquid, mm-hmm. maybe worth two, $3 million, but they just needed 50 grand. And you over here free and you got 50 sitting in an account, just like I did with mine. You now got into a game that would have took you 10 years to get in because you had some money and you had some freedom and you had the ability to leverage them. And that's why I talk about this acronym called STEAM, science, technology, entrepreneurship, but the emphasis on access and mentorship, just like you talked about the white boy that didn't have the degree, but was making almost you was making because he had access and mentorship. So how do I get access and mentorship is somebody growing up in the hood or somebody that's basic regular middle class that I'm the first person graduated from college and now everybody in my family, I got to carry them on my back. How do I get access? I get my consumer debt down to zero. Because most time as a professional household, you're paying consumable debt where you're servicing six to $900 a month. I partner Tim Jackson talked about it. He said, man, I looked up and I was buying, you know, lunch here, lunch there. And he did his numbers. He said it was like $900 a month. He was spending on lunch, breakfast, this, that, and other. That's $11,000 a year, boss. So you eliminate that. And that takes 24 to 36 months, depending on how big your consumer debt is. You eliminate that. Now you get that house note. Let's say you got that $250,000 house at 2% and your mortgage payment is 800. Instead of you paying the 800, you take the 900 that you eliminated completely in consumer debt, stack it on top of that. And now in seven years, you own that whole house because now you're paying 90% principal to interest on that house, bro. And now you are 100% the boss of you. You may not make but 100 grand, but guess what? You own your car. You got no consumable debt. You got an 800 credit score and your house is damn near paid off. Tell me what you can't do on the globe with $8,333.33 coming in when you got all that paid off of. I'm talking about taking world-class vacations. I'm talking about go out and buy yourself a you know, Tesla because again, the note on those are very small when you got leverage with no debt. Yeah. 
but we're not going to teach you that in college because if we teach you that, there's no need for you to be with me and there's no need for me to be protection and be elitist because you now took away my number one resource is your workforce. Yeah, it's interesting because when people hear the eight, the way I interpret this is you make 8,000 a month and some of those months are going to stack on top of each other because you ain't taking a trip every single month. Exactly. And they don't get, man, you got great, great insight, brother, because that's exactly what they own. It's multiplying every month. If you got no debt, you're not taking the trip. You got the carpet. Where are you putting that money at? If you smart and you get with your options course like you have, I'm investing. And now when people, we talk about the seven streams of income, I'm not really a proponent for teaching that, but here's the reality of if I got eight grand coming in every month and got nothing to do with, guess just from a tax perspective, guess what I'm going to do? Sit down with my CPA. Hey, how do I pay the least amount? He's going to tell you, invest in a business, get some real estate, get some legitimate write-offs. And that money keeps coming in. Now at the end of the year, you got a hundred grand in a money market account. Plus you got your 401k, plus you got your Roth. Now it's like, damn, I got to keep this money moving, baby. Mm -hmm. Imagine doing that at 35 and you got the eight grand coming in every month. See, people can't fathom that because they too busy on social media. Man, I got to be a millionaire. I got to be a big, guess what? How about be a hundred thousand there? No debt, no consumable loans and have eight grand coming in every month. You will roll better than most millionaires on paper because like athletes and entertainers, here's another one. Check this out. I'm not forced to get, and it's it's not a personal service announcement, but check this out. If I don't believe in getting vaccinated, but I'm playing in the NBA, I can't get my $40 million. But guess what? If I don't want to get vaccinated because I don't need the money, you can't tell me what to do. Or last year, they had to plan a bubble. Forget about the vaccine. You had to plan a bubble for 90 days and your wife and your kid couldn't even come in the bubble. I don't think people conceptualize that. So when... um. What's our guy? Uh, George Paul. Paul. Paul George. What's the, what's the guy with the Clippers? Your guy. Mm, he, George, he, yeah. yeah, he said he was having, you know, depression because he couldn't see his family. And people's like, wait, wait up, dude. You're making $36 million a year. You're talking about you got to do. We're human. I want to see my, my wife. I want to see my daughter. I want to see my mom. I want to see my sister. But guess what? The employer said, guess what, bro? You want to still get this $36 million? You're going to stay in here and you're going to be confined to this bubble with just the guys you play ball with. And now you got to see them 24-7-36. Dude, that'll drive you insane. But guess what? If you're free, you got no debt. You can say, hey, guess what? Adam Silver, Doc Rivers, I'm going to take a pass. And guess what? A couple of players did that. They opted out because they stacked their cheese. They out of debt and they have more control. That's the way it rolls. But that ain't sexy. But it's sexy when you're on this side of the table because everything becomes, you know, technicolor because the freedoms that you have. And the most powerful thing is not buying stuff that you can buy because now you can say no to it because you really know it's just a physical thing. And I'm all for having everything. Don't get me wrong. But within reason and consumption. And here's what Deion said. Sanders said one time, check this out. Deion Sanders was getting interviewed when he was prime time and this reporter tried to clown him. He said, Deion, man, you got this million dollar Ferrari sitting out here, dude. And you got this and you got that. And Deion said, man, hold up. He said, how much you make a year? You make about $60,000, $70,000 a year, don't you? And the reporter's like, yeah. He said, what kind of car you drive? The reporter, I drive a Ford Taurus, brand new. He said, how much that cost? That's about 30, 40 grand, right? He said, yeah. He said, you pay cash for that, right? He said, no. He said, so you're trying to clown me. You make $60,000, $70,000 a year, but you got a $40,000 car that you paying on notes. My Ferrari and my other whip represent 1% of my multi-million dollar income. Who is stupid? You or me? <laughs> Think about that. You make 60, but you got a $40,000 car that you didn't pay cash for. That's the American disaster. Yeah. So before we wrap, I got two questions for you. I know you're big on what's 
called the Pom Pom Lifestyle. So can you explain that to the guests? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So the Pom Pom Lifestyle is basically a mindset. When you have plenty of money, you get peace of mind. And man, thank you for hitting me up on that book. I'm already listening to it. Uh, The strategy of getting rich, the science of getting rich. And the guy talked about the talent, um, smarts and skills have nothing to do with you making wealth. And the pom-pom mindset is the same way. Because when you got plenty of money, Charles, you have less stress. And when you marry them together, you're now 100% the boss of you. And you now can create multi-generational wealth. And you have more options than you will ever have in your life. And that's really what the state of mind is that when people think about being free, what do they think? They think about being on beaches. They think about being at events with their kids. They think about creating amazing you know, memories. But the reality is, if they don't have plenty of money, they can't get peace of mind because their mind is always thinking about the money problem. And 98 percent of the things that we make decisions on pertain to money. So if you can get that money situation taken care of and have enough of it at your income bracket, eliminate your recurring expenses with passive income, the peace of mind comes naturally and you never give it away. Thus, you got the pom-pom lifestyle. Plenty of money, peace of mind. And now you can literally tell me, hey, DJ, hey man, let's go to Bora Bora. You and your family and my family tomorrow, literally. I could go because I got plenty of money and I got peace of mind. But a lot of people may have the money, but they can't go because they got a boss. Mm. And then a lot of people got the time, but they don't have the money. So why not marry the both and create the pom-pom lifestyle, which plenty of money, peace of mind. And then like we say, come travel around the world with us on the beaches of the world club. That's what it's really <laughs> about. And when I got free, all my stress went down and I just became 100% me. And I also had the ability to speak truth to power when people are imposing on my rights that I don't care to give up because my dad fought for my right to be in America. That's what that pom-pom lifestyle is about. And everybody got to get it. And last question is how important is fatherhood to you? Man, that's the most important thing on the planet, bro. Because especially as a black male, um, we need to have father figure from the day we get out of the womb. And I've been on both sides, you know, single parent house, mom was married three times. So I saw it and, and see, and kudos to the single moms and grandmoms that raise boys to men. A woman can never raise a man 100% the way he needs to be raised. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what the feminists say and the liberals say, if you're buying into that, you 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 cheating yourself. Because I know my own personal experience, that anger that just started to grow in me, well, I would just see my friends have their dad with them. Envy, depression, you know, why am I not having that relationship? So to be a father, to be there with your children and watch every memory is priceless to them. And you don't realize how important it is because I remember times when my mom was working two jobs and she said, hey, I'll be at your bowling tournament and she don't show up. And I didn't know at the time because I didn't know she had to work these two jobs to put the food on the table and to keep us in the top private school. But I'm out looking out the window and my heart is sinking, man. And so now guess what I become prey to? I become prey to the devil's playground and start doing doing stuff that I shouldn't do, getting in trouble and starting to experiment stuff that I shouldn't experiment because I don't have a father there to, you know, mold me and tell me the pathway. So I got free and I love 24-7, 365. My number one job on the planet is being a dad to four children and my children probably sick of me. They see me <laughs> all the time, bro. And it got to the point where I said, until they get up to the 18, I'm going to be at every event. I've only missed maybe two events in all of my children's lives because they each had an event simultaneously simultaneously at the same time. So mom went to one and I went to the other. But that mentorship that the man gives to the son from 
teenage, you know, from elementary school to college. Like right now, I've got a son in college and my son, he's very sharp, but he calls back, hey, dad, now that stuff you were telling me at 12, 13, 14, I see what you mean, especially having the right people around. And I teach my son that, hey, guess what? If your friends don't do this, they don't do this, they don't do this, then I don't care who they are. We don't roll with it. And I said, take a snapshot of the people I hang around with. And I trust those people. That's another important thing about fathers, fatherhood, not only from fatherhood to a boy, but even more important for fatherhood to a young black girl. I can't have you around my daughter if I can't trust you. And the same thing in the society, we're letting the social media raise them. So you need to be 100% in their lives all the time. And sometimes we get caught up, Charles, we're chasing money. And I'll give you a case in point on everything we do. When I met you, I was on the road five out of seven weeks and I was supposed to go to FinCon. But my daughter, eight years old, she was like, hey, dad, you're going on another trip. You know, I sure wish we could play some Boggle and some Scrabble together. So I just called Erica up and I said, Erica, I can't make this trip. And most people wouldn't have done that because yeah, the exposure, the opportunity, more money could be made. But when nothing more important than when my daughter said, hey, dad, can you spend some more time with me? I made the decision and I don't regret it at all. So if you do one one thing out of what you heard tonight and you are a mom or even a dad and you're choosing between chasing money versus spending that time with your kid, I would challenge you to check your priorities because here's what my grandfather taught me. He said, if you lose some money, you lost nothing. You lose a friend, you lost something. But if you lose your ability to be a father and a man of your word, you lost everything because them other things are replaceable. As long as you got your health and you got your sanity. So that's why I pour everything into fatherhood. I've done a STEM program for young uh, single parent households. Uh, that were, you know, kids that didn't get the opportunities that we had and provide them resources. But what I do do as well, uh, Charles, is I require them to do certain things, I require them good, decent grades. I require them to be respectful, I require them to wear their clothes and, you know, cut their hair a certain way. So if you do all those things, I'm going to support you. I'm going to give you resources. I'm going to give you access. And I'm going to be a father figure that you don't have because I needed that myself. So for my own selfish reasons, I provide those programs in what we call the D-Quad program that's uh, built around baseball and science. And I teach them about entrepreneurship in the process and show them how important math and how baseball works exceptionally well in business. Awesome. Great conversation. I definitely appreciate you for coming on and dropping a ton of value for the guests. I know they're going to get a bunch out of this and I want to make sure that they can connect with you because I know a lot of this comes from the follow-up and continue to be tapped into what you have going on. I know you have a YouTube channel that has a ton of videos on there. Let them know um, the YouTube channel as well as your social media and any websites you might have or products as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. So they can find us on YouTube at Seven Spheres of Money. That's the number seven, S-P-H-E-R-E-S of M-O-N-E-Y. Again, that's the number seven, S-P-H-E-R-E-S of money. And IG is the same thing. It's at seven spheres of money on IG. And right now we just came out when I actually met you for the first time, we actually came out and launched our new book called the ABCs of wealth. It's a common sense strategy to achieve an American dream. And in this book, what I do, Charles, is I actually give you 20 years of what we put together and actual real stories. And it's actually strategies. Each letter, which is 26, tells you about the actual principle of how to get to the pom-pom lifestyle. And actually what we're going to do for your group, if you allow us, we're going to actually give them the ability to get the book and get a complimentary consultation for less than $49. A full $500 consultation with the book. All they got to do is hit the link that uh, Nick 
provided you with, and they can get a 15 minute consultation with me. I'll give you three questions that you can ask me. And the only requirement is, is I send you a budget sheet and a survey just to find out where you are so I can get right to the heart of your questions about how you need to get to the next level and how you can get access to the people that can help you out in the seven spheres of money. So get the book and you'll get the $500 consultation absolutely free. Awesome. Very cool. Great show. I'm going to get this up ASAP. We're trying to turn over this content super quick. I want you guys to be able to connect with the person in real time. So no stale episodes, no sitting on episodes. Um, it will be there for you. As always, I appreciate you guys for supporting everything that we've been doing over the course of the years, running this show, building this show through all of our changes and morphs and upgrades and downgrades and side grades. We're going to keep bringing, bringing you guys viable conversations, viable content with really awesome people. Make sure you follow him. Make sure you support what he has going on. Make sure you book that consultation. That consult can take you to the next level. You've already seen the value this guy brings just in the conversation we've been having for the last like hour and some change. So I lost track of the time. But again, I appreciate you. Thank you for taking time out of your day to speak to the guests. And this is my name is Charles Oglesby. And this is the Millionaire Talk Show, formerly known as the Oglesby and Scott Show and the Ty Captain Millionaire Podcast. And we are signing off. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Millionaire Talk Show. This is Donald the Voice, the official podcast editor and producer. And as always, if you have podcasting or video editing or content creation needs, be sure to connect with me at DonaldTheVoice.com and mention that you are a Todd Capital Millionaire Talk Show, Oglesby and Scott listener, and I'll make sure to take care of you. Again, that's DonaldTheVoice.com. Hit the contact tab and let's make some magic together. Have an amazing rest of your day.